0: So let's begin. I uh, thank you guys for coming. Thank, thank, you. thank you for coming. So I, f- I figured um, after we had spent the uh, last couple of weeks learning about the H Kodesh and, uh, and really uh, talking um, really talking about, uh, as we said in Osher, i looking at the void and looking at that which is uh, f- filled with darkness. So I thought what is left to do uh, after that but to delve into Torah Mishamachas uh, to talk about... Uh, to talk about the Torah that illuminates and the Torah that uh, that gladdens the heart. And uh, the idea was to spend a couple of shurim spend a little bit of time talking about Eretz Yisrael, to talk about the Land of Israel. Um, just uh, sh- talking about the link between this series of shurim and the last one is that, uh, uh, just to editorialize a little bit, uh, there are people. There are people go ahead and make an explicit link between the Holocaust and Shivat Zion, the return to uh, the land of Israel, that we've seen uh, the miracle of Shivat Zion in the past uh, century, the founding of the State of Israel, and the unbelievable miracle that the State of Israel is for Jewish history. Um, I, would, uh, I would say that, uh, at least my way of thinking about it, is that Eretz and uh, the founding of the State of Israel is uh, in no way is it a nechama, uh, I've heard people talk about it being, uh, you know, that this is God's consolation, as it were, to the Jewish people. Uh, I think that that's obscene. I don't think that any nechama is possible, but when a person suffers on an individual level, when a person suffers a tragedy, uh, so what we do sometimes, especially a tragedy, they that can't, that can't really give a person comfort for certain tragedies, certain tragedies are so enormous. And you could imagine, all of us can imagine what that personal tragedy might look like. <laughs> But, uh, but when we talk about uh, those that suffer, so, so what we do sometimes, we offer purpose, we offer meaning, we offer somebody a mission. Um, so rather than thinking of Eretz and Shiva Tzion, the return to the land of Israel and the family estate of Israel as any sort of nechama, which is impossible for the Shoah, uh, I want to talk about it as purpose. Uh, Zionism itself, religious Zionism, secular Zionism is a, is a people finding purpose and channeling their energies into something constructive after all the destruction that we've suffered. Um, but before before we talk about you know, religious Zionism, secular Zionism and that, it's important to understand what exactly it is that, uh, that's so important about this land that we're returning to. Why is it so essential to the Jewish people? So in these shirim, the next three uh, that we're going to be doing, so we're not going to be really talking about Zionism at all. Um, We're not secular or religious, Uh, I want to talk about Eretz Yisrael. Um, And there's almost a distinction the way people talk. You'll hear certain people in circles, so you could tell where a person sort of holds on the political spectrum, on the question, not the political spectrum, on the question of Zionism, uh, on the religious spectrum, whether or not they call it Eretz Yisrael, or they call it Israel, or the State of Israel. Um, So today we're going to be talking about Eretz Yisrael. Uh, the land of Israel, um, and the idea of the land of Israel. And, um, and why? Why is it that it's so crucial? Why is it that this is so important? Why is it that this is, uh, um, why is, it that this is such a foundational part of who we are as Jews and our religion? And uh, really the entire Torah, the uh, can be, Chumashim, can be seen as uh, documenting a people's uh, emergence and, uh, and finding their place in the Holy Land. And... Uh, and, and what they're supposed to do there, and the laws that they're supposed to keep there. In fact, there's an opinion, maybe, uh, based on the pasuk, that, that we're supposed to erect for ourselves signposts on, the ways, uh, on our ways in Galut, that uh, maybe it's possible one might have the that all the mitzvahs really only apply in Eretz Yisrael, uh, that this is the place that mitzvahs are truly accomplished, commandments are truly done, and that in we are only in practice when a Jew is in exile, when a Jew is on Nechar, when a Jew is on foreign land. So anything that we do in the service of Hashem is really—it's uh, a practice for what we're supposed to be doing when we get there to Israel, because the full—the full expression of Judaism can be only found uh, in that land. So why—why why is that? Um, I wanted to uh, mention—I I, don't—I forgot where I saw this, so I'm hesitant to say this. But, uh, but I heard once quote in the name of one of the early Talmidim of Rav Kook. I don't remember who, uh, but he said the following, um, the following very pointed and challenging line, and uh, let's try and understand this. The line he said uh, when he was asked towards the end of his life, the line he was asked, he was, he was asked, you know, what, what do you make of Eretz Yisrael now? We have uh, beautiful towers, we have cities, we have an army uh, of Jewish soldiers, we have uh, a booming economy, we are start startup nation, uh, and, you know, we, uh, you know, we have kosher McDonald's, you know, it's a... a what an amazing thing, we have Jews making uh, their own whiskey in the Golan, right? All these uh, amazing physical trappings of, of, uh, of Zionism. So they said, you know, what do you make of it? He said, look, in the beginning, at the very beginning uh, of this project of the enterprise of return to Israel in modern times, so at the very beginning of that project, he said, it was all oros, and no Caleb. It was all lights, it was all potence, potential and, and divine illumination, yet there were no physical kalim, there were no physical vessels with which to grasp and which to, uh, for that light to settle in. There was no, uh, there was no tashtit. What's that? See, right, it was, it, was, it, was, it was in theory, in potentia, it, was, it, 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 it represented a dream. Yeah? An
1: empty, vast emptiness uh, that, to hold on
0: to. But the, right, there was nothing to hold on to. He says, so he says in the beginning it was all oros and no kalim. He says now he sees lamenting I guess uh, what it become. He said, Now I see only Kalim, but very few Oros. So the idea is for us to maybe in the Shurim to, uh, you know, we have all these we have amazing cities, we have amazing infrastructure, but maybe the idea of Eretz Yisrael itself, uh, perhaps that idea has, has become. Uh, of necessity a little bit obscured in, in all the magnificence that is the modern state of Israel. So what I want to do is to, to go back before that and to reclaim what, what those lights are, to understand what is the light of Eretz Yisrael. And I used the word light uh, when Rav Kook was looking for the name, the names for his uh, Sfarim. So uh, light is, li- lights is a concept that comes up in, in Kabbalah. If you're looking for the physical thing that's that's least physical, right? That something that's tangible, but, but, but almost in, a, in an extremely tenuous way. See, so light is the ...metaphor that you use, something that really skirts the, our reality and the reality that can't be perceived. So light is, uh, light is, light is that metaphor, light is that idea that we, uh, that we use. So when I talk about lights over here, I don't mean it in a sort of mufshat, The sort of, uh, you know, it's a nice spiritual word to toss out. When we talk about the lights of Yisrael the Oros of Eretz Yisrael, which is the name of a section, one of Ruf cooks for him. Uh, when we talk about the lights of Eretz I want to talk about what, what, it, what exactly is the light that emanates from the idea of Eretz Whereas when we're talking about the Shoah, we talked about uh, Dr. Polen saying the darkness that emanates from it, a, a, a darkness that radiates from it, and uh, I guess irradiates us, right? A painful darkness. So what's the light that radiates from Eretz Yisrael? And hopefully by talking about Eretz Yisrael and going into the ideas of, of what really makes Eretz what it is, so then we can understand why it is that we feel so passionately about our Zionism, why it is that Eretz Yisrael uh, grabs such a deep, profound Place in in any Jew's heart, Uh, even the most distant from Torah, understood that Eretz Yisrael, uh, aside from those that wanted to go to Uganda or whatever, but that the 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 most the most inner point of of a Jew connects itself to Eretz Yisrael and sometimes nowadays we see in the most radical opposition but everybody has to be moved by the concept of Eretz Yisrael. Nobody, no Jew is left uh, unscathed or untouched by the concept of Eretz Yisrael. Some react violently like an allergic reaction and some react uh, I guess violently in another sense that it, that it, it tosses them into, a, into a, a wild state of religious ecstasy and, and, and causes people to really go out of their own kalem when we talk about this idea. Why is it so powerful and why is it so central? So I want to say that. That, uh, that my initial thought was that we were going to do like a survey, like we've been doing the other shirim, but the idea of Eretz Yisrael is too vast uh, to go ahead and to do that. So instead, in the three classes that we're going to have, I want to focus on suggis. I want to focus on on three distinct topics and concepts that, 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 that Eretz Yisrael is central in, and hopefully by getting a glimpse of that, we have, a, uh, we have a small piece of the larger picture that Eretz Yisrael forms. So let's begin with a story. Um, I was a counselor, and I guess really it became like the reason I, I decided to go into Chinuch. I was a counselor. I was asked, I'd never been involved in B'nai in Akiva. I was asked uh, by a friend of mine uh, if I'd be interested in a summer program called TVI. TVI was like a counselor training institute in uh, the land of Israel, and we took, uh, uh, there was a very large group of high school, think about 150 high school juniors. And uh, half the day was learning and uh, I guess it doesn't work out this way. A third of the day is learning, a third of the day is sports, and a third day was chesed. And then I guess the, the rest of the time, there's nothing left, I'm terrible at math, but the rest of the time was spent and, and just enjoying and soaking up the land. It was an amazing summer. Um, I remember distinctly, you know, uh, I think the year I gave that year was halachos of Facebook or something like that. It was like my first foray into teaching teenagers and, and it just felt like uh, it was intoxicating to me. I was like, I got to do this. This has got to be uh, what I want to do with my life. But uh, when we were on TVI, at the end of the summer, I decided to extend my ticket and Akiva paid us in plane tickets. Uh, so I extended my visit, and I met up with a friend, and we said, "Okay, you know, we'll uh, we'll push off." Why you? The way it worked that year, a little bit was that you know we would be able to take a few weeks and only miss a few classes. I met up with a friend of mine, Rabbi Gabi Dagnelli, and we went to the north. We went to Tzfas, and we emailed the yeshiva that has the yeshiva there, uh, Yeshivas base Yosef, which is on top of the Arizal Shul in Tzfas, and we emailed them, "Are you guys uh, open? And if you are, are you willing to take two American boys? We don't have much to uh, to pay." But we're willing to do whatever to be able to learn. They said, absolutely, come. you work in the kitchen and in the garden. We're like, okay, cool. The yeshiva has a garden. They would, they, they, the yeshiva has no money. So what they would do is they would go ahead and they, and they had a garden. They would like if, if the menu was cucumbers, so the cucumbers came from the yeshiva's garden. We worked in the kitchen a little bit and uh, they gave us room and board and we were able to learn there. I'll describe the yeshiva for you guys just so you get a picture and the visuals of Eretz Yisrael are so important. Uh, the yeshiva, is, of course, everybody's familiar with the, uh, another intoxicating thing, the air of Tzvat. And looking out on Meiron, you could see, if you've ever been on, on the edge of the old city, you have the Kineret in the distance, the faint uh, bluish-gray outlines of the Kineret on a clear day. You have Har Meiron and you see the forest of Tzvat and the roads that come up. So the yeshiva sits on the edge of, uh, of, of, of Tzvat and it overlooks. Uh, that beautiful vista, you can't forget it, and the yeshiva had three roofs, right? So the first roof, you'd go up and it was like a zula, right? So they'd have couches, the rattiest couches you've ever seen, and guys would go up there, it was beautiful summer, there's no rain, Guys would go up there to learn, and then there's a second roof. You climbed up a ladder on the second roof. They had a few uh, tables set up with benches. and Then there's a third roof, which was the empty water tower. That was their Hisbodidas room. There's is a concept uh, in Judaism where one goes ahead and isolates themselves from everybody else. So it was an empty uh, water tower. An empty water tower had inside of it a mattress. And guys would go up there. People would bring up like uh, some water. And guys, I, we, there were guys that went up there uh, during our time, during our, uh, the few weeks we spent there. And they would, like, disappear for, like, a day in Hispodidus. So so Gabi and myself, we spent most of our day, we were learning uh, Sefer Tatanya, uh, We are learning Sefer Hatanya. I still have my, the book and uh, the chapter, Shari Yichav We spent all day doing that. And, uh, and we would daven. Davening every day was roughly like an hour plus another 30 minutes of music. The Rashi Yeshiva there of was like an Yakubovich is an amazing person, young, charismatic. Music was like an integral part of the Yeshiva. And uh, we would learn on the roof and we would look over and it would just be the most incredible thing in the mornings. I'm telling you this for a reason, not just to give myself nostalgia, but uh, then but, to make you guys feel jealous that I got to experience this because it was a truly special experience. Um, in the mornings, so we'd wake up very early at the crack of dawn. They had a shear in the morning. One of the, uh, one of the breast liver... Hasidim from uh, Rav Kenick's yeshiva, a local Brest of yeshiva, so he would give shir in Likutei Halachas, which is a work and a monumental work of Rav Nason one of the sources in today's shir. Rav Nason ties in Rabbi Nachman's Torah uh, onto concepts, appends it, it onto concepts in halach and Shulchan Aruch. So we would, he would give that shir at about six o'clock in the morning. So so that so and guys went and it was an amazing thing. And we would sit there and it was a little bit chilly. People would wrap <laughs> themselves up in blankets and coffee and tea. Just amazing. Just imagine. And uh, I remember of Eyal, uh, the streets of Simtaud of Tzvat are very beautiful. So we would find ourselves in in the streets of Tzvat and we'd hear, Baruch Ata Hashem Laila singing in the most beautiful Niguman would be Ravayal already you know wearing talos and fillin' and on his way to Yeshiva to go ahead and to do preparations and followed him and we would go. So we're sitting in the Likute Allah Hashir at one point and one of the Talmudim who had just been back after a stint of the army and a trip to uh, to India and South America had said and we're talking about the beauty of Eretz Yisrael. And he says, look, I get we have a beautiful country. I get Eretz has, you know, there's great Shvilim. One could be Metaya. We've all probably been to the same places, right? And you could go to to Jago and and Nacho Yehudiya. You could be up north in the Banya's. You could be in the Negev and Midbar Hudan, the beautiful mountains. He says, look, I get that it's so beautiful. We talk about Eretz as the most beautiful of all lands, but give me a break. Have you ever been to South America? There's there's a there's a waterfall. I think in Venezuela or something or Belize. Angel Falls, right? It's 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 ten it's ten times the, the height of the biggest uh, the biggest waterfall in Israel. And you see mountains in Switzerland that dwarf any vista you could ever see in Israel. And then you come to the Shvili in Israel. You come to a hike, and what do you find? You find trees with gum on them, and you find garbage, and it's been trampled by so many thousands of people. Sometimes it's too crowded. And this is the beautiful land this is so gorgeous, this is Eretz Yisrael, this is the heritage, this is the nachla, Mibena omos, the, the, the portion amongst the nations that God Almighty granted us, this is what we're talking about. I've been around the world, I've seen that, it's more beautiful than this. So the rest of the was about tshuva, I guess it also been around the, ru- the world also a little bit, he said, he said the easy answer is to say, you know, in a dome, there's no comparison between one's own backyard, between one's own portion, what's yours, and what's everybody else's. Eretz Yisrael is your own backyard. Eretz Yisrael is the backyard of the Jewish people and even though it might be small even though it might be as, not as at least it's ours so I think that that might be the easy answer there is I think a more profound answer and the more profound answer is, uh, is contained in the, in the sheer today and the two Gemaras that I want to analyze together, you guys, and I think by going ahead and, and analyzing this particular Gemara and the particular description of Eretz Yisrael, not only can we come to an answer to the question, there's so many other beautiful lands, is really Eretz Yisrael physically the most beautiful, what, what exactly lends it that special quality? And we could talk about Eretz Yisrael as a living thing, we could talk about Eretz Yisrael as forming a symbiotic relationship with the Jewish person, and that we're in a we're in a deep relationship with Eretz Yisrael that's personified, that it becomes it becomes uh, anthropomorphized, it becomes it becomes human, it it develops a personality. And in doing so, we can appreciate a very special quality of the land of Israel. Just before we do that, and I know that I've already eaten up a lot of time already with uh, reminiscing with you guys, but uh, it it makes sense to point out that tonight and tomorrow is also uh, Yutas Kislev. Yutes uh, Kif Yat Kislev. I've seen some amazing videos of what's going on, festivities in Eretz Yisrael. Yutes Kislav is celebrated, uh, especially in Chabad Chasidus but really for everybody is the Rosh Hashanah of Hasidus. Uh it, it refers to the day, I believe, in 1788, that the, uh, that the Balatanya, the founder of uh, Chabad Chasidus uh Zalman of Liadi, and the author of the Balatanya was released from uh, the Peter Paul prison in, at Fortress in Petersburg. He had been in prison because his teachings were seen as threatening the Tsar. And uh, after he emerged, so it became another stage in the revelation of the secrets of Torah. And if you ask, and we've done this before, but what's the essence of Hasidus? So really the answer is a non-answer. There is no essence of Hasidus. I encourage everybody to read an article posted today by Rabbi Eli Rubin on Chabad.org talking about this question, you know, what's significant about this day? Beautiful article. Um, but one thing that we can say about Hasidus, maybe to tie into our Baal Shem Tov Shirem, is that Hasidus represents the teachings that we have the ability as Jews to sanctify that which is mundane, to take physicality and to elevate it. It's really not just a Hasidic idea, but really a Jewish idea. But the Baal Shem Tov and later expositors of Hasidus were able to take this idea and develop it into something living, something that we could all do. The place where that happens more than anything else and I give the punchline right at the beginning, is Eretz Yisrael, the land, and if you put it into almost a sentence, Eretz Yisrael can be divided into Eretz Yashar El. It's land and, and, and landedness, an earthiness, a physicality that goes directly to God Almighty, something that we could bring up directly to God Almighty. It's the place that Carbanos were brought. It's the place where we brought Chumos and Masros. It's the place where trees were sanctified like people for the first three years. The trees, there was almost like an aspect, like with an upshare, like an aspect of holiness that was given to fruit bearing trees. It's the land where, where mitzvos. Mitzvahs take on an earthly quality. We have a concept of mitzvah that could only be fulfilled in the land of Israel, maybe with one or two, perhaps, exceptions, like, for example, mitzvah chala. Strange enough, there's a tosis that says that chala seems to be mitzvah tolui ba'aretz, but also is noig b'chul, whatever, leave that for another time. But the idea of mitzvot which is the halachic parlance for mitzvahs that are dependent on the land is that these mitzvahs need the land in order to, to, to sprout forth. That, that the mitzvos rely on earthiness. The mitzvahs rely on the dirt and the soil and the rocks and the topography of the land of Israel in order to, to derive their strength and essence. So, so that's Ya'ak Kislev. So let's begin. So the first Gemara I want to point to is source number one and we're going to be a little bit more text-based in these shirim than we have been in the other shirim. I hope you'll forgive me for that. So the Gemara says Amr of Chislev the first line of this is Siv, quotes a pasik from Jeremiah, which is going to be in source number three. Maidikh Siv, Etin l'cha Eretz Chemda Nachlas Tzvi. God says, I shall give you the goodliest heritage, a pleasant land, the goodliest heritage of the nations. So he says, Lama eretz le tzvi. tzvi means deer. So the Gemara asks, Why is the land of Israel com- compared to a deer? And if you look at the second to last line, there's a first answer. The second answer that the Gemara gives says, Davar Acher, tzvi Zeh. Just as a deer, kal chayos, the swiftest of the animals, so too the land of Israel is the swiftest and lightest and flightest, of, most fleet of all the lands of the Peroseha. Fruits, the physical, the land of Eretz has a quality that the fruits of Eretz are fastest to ripen. So the comparison to a deer made in the Gemara is meant to be, evoke this aspect that Eretz Yisrael has a certain lightness of it and that lightness and the swiftness with which it happens it's almost like a warp time is warped in the land of, in, in holy land time becomes warped And the fruits become, are mevushal, they become uh, ripened faster and swifter there than anywhere else in the world. And that seems like a strange thing. Is that really why we would compare it to a deer? And I think that the deeper we jump into this metaphor, the deeper that we jump into this idea of comparing the land to a deer and calling it Eretz Hatzvi, the land of the deer, so we we will will be able to understand the special quality of the land of Israel. Just to show you that the land of the deer is not just a one-off reference to the land of Israel, it's actually mentioned again and again in Tanakh a number of places. For example, in source number two, in Sefer Daniel... Talking about the, the great war of the eschatological age of Gogu Magog, where all the king of the king of the north and the king of the east and the king of the south, when they wage battle, the battle of the end of days with one another. So it says one pasuk in, in Parakid Aleph so it says, V'yas biyado. talks about one of the kings coming to the land of Israel, called over here Eritzvi, the land of the deer. Another pasuk later on in the same Parak, Ubab Eritzvi Shelu the king of the north which is being referred to in this Pasach She'll also come in to Ertzatzvi. It's translated over here in the JPS 1917 translation as a beauteous land. Svi itself, as we'll see, is also Shem Nirdaf. It's also synonymous. The word itself is metonymic. It contains many ideas. We'll see in a moment that the word itself expands in its meaning. Svi is connected with all sorts of different concepts over here, but over here, tsvi is connected to beauty. And that's the translation that it's that that's the translation, the best job that you could do in English for it over here. They'll come into svi, the beautiful land. The beautiful land, that land that maybe that person was asking, is it really that beautiful? Is it really that gorgeous? Is it really, this is the most beautiful place in the whole world? And the passage that we quoted earlier in the Gemara from Yermia, Yermia is talking about another vision of the end of days. This vision talks about the eventual unification of Yehuda and Yisrael, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Vanochi amarti, God says, babanim veiten God says, I've placed you, my children, amongst the nations. Veiten I've given you a pleasant land or a desirable land, the goodliest heritage of the nations. And maybe this is where the the question hinges upon. This is really, this land, this land is really the most beautiful. I mean, you could cross it in one day almost, if you have a bus driver that has enough hours on his ledger, right? You could cross it in, in one day. That's this beautiful land. And you get the sense also, and this was really what I was thinking as a Benchul, as a, as a person coming from, uh, the only person that was learning that morning, uh, that was... Was coming from outside the land of israel it's quite small it's quite small you get the you get the feeling that there's certain places in israel that you could see from one end to the other and you say so this is really there it's Tova, tover this is this desirable wide open space that god promised us how could it be how could it be uh so so that's what we're going to try and figure out and why is it called tzvi i think holds the secret to to this and notice that the ideas where Eretz, comes up over here are all eschatological ideas. They're all messianic ideas. They're all referring to something happening in the end of days. And there's a distinct quality to Eretz Yisrael which does signal a harbinger of a time to come that the Eretz Yisrael in its fullest state, the Eretz Yisrael in its most perfect state is inextricably linked to concepts of the eschaton, to concepts of the end of days, to concepts of a perfect world. So how is that? So the Ramchal, it's not the Ramchal, the Maharal rather. The Maharal, Rabbi Yehud of Prague, Maharal of Prague as his project to go ahead, and uh, I think more than anything else, and uh, I'm not saying this on my own, I'm saying this because of Yeshua Hartman, who is uh, the great expositor of the Maharal's teachings nowadays, he puts out these unbelievable volumes with thousands and thousands of footnotes, I'm not really sure who exactly they're intended for, because if you just focused on that, you could spend your whole life learning Maharal. Maybe that's his intention, but, uh, but when he talks about the Maral's project, Maral's project was to show the genius of the words of Chazal, that in every statement of Chazal is Ruach HaKodesh, is divine inspiration, and every statement of Chazal could be plumbed over, even those statements, especially Agadaic statements, which can be seen as quite strange or lacking uh, obvious meaning, that the more you delve into those statements of Chazal, you find immense repositories, infinity of meaning within those statements of Chazal. So the Maral, in his Safer Net, Yisrael writes the following We're going to start In the right side paragraph He says Why is the land of Israel Called Eretz Tzvi? Tzvi is connected To splendor And when we're talking About things that are splendorous Things that have this quality Of P'er Are also things that seem To skirt the line Between our reality Physical reality and spiritual reality. Right? What's another thing that's called Pe'er? Right? What's another thing that's called Pe'er? Cook wrote a book about it, actually. What's another thing that we call Pe'er? Tefillin. Tefillin are called Pe'er. Cook wrote a country called Chavash, chavash Pe'er. So things that are called Pe'er from Lashon Tiferis are things that seem to have physical qualities. Tefillin right? are, are leather boxes. They're very earthy. Right? It's made from the skins of dead animals. But, but Pe'er... Also, they contain psuche Torah. We're literally wearing words of Torah upon us, wrapping ourselves up in text, is the name of one scholarly book on it. Wrapping ourselves, so we, so we find another thing that seems to go ahead and skirt the quality, skirt the quality between that which is physical and that which rises and transcends the physical. And you'll see that this notion of pair and svi being associated with it, is something that is a very apt descriptor of the land of Israel, which is a land which is quite physical, but also has qualities that seem to transcend the physical, which may be the point of it, is to take that which is earthy and physical and to, and to bring us above. The Maral continues. He says, Something which is peer, something which is splendorous, does not really have a true physical quality. Ubal Omar, this comes to say, so the Mar-El says that this is to teach us that the land of Israel has a transcendent non-physical quality to it. And this happens when? When its people are on it. Needs something. Land of Israel is like any other land. But when its people are on it, so something is activated. When it's conquered by the Jewish people in the beginning of history, it turns from Eretz Kena'an into something much more holy, something much more transcendent. Right? It has that latent quality that when its people are there, it's activated. That, that holiness or that, that, that aspect of it that transcends physicality is acted. When its rightful people dwell upon it. And when its people are on it, so now we find the maral evoking this idea, so the land seems to expand. They seem to find a revach. Revach vaatslacha. There seems to be an expansive quality that Eretz Yisrael, because it, it, it actually transcends just being merely a physical lens, it has an elastic quality to it, right? It seems to be able to go ahead and, and, to, and to move beyond its borders, and its physical borders seem to become gamish, they become elastic, they become, if something happens to them, they become warped a little bit. And if I sound strange with what I'm saying right now, so watch, we're going to substantiate this idea that the morale is saying and we're going to show how deeply entrenched this is in the sources and how deeply, uh, how deeply this is the idea that God is trying to communicate us when he warns us how we're supposed to act in the land of Israel. How a Jewish nation is supposed to activate this expansive quality? How do we find that transcendent quality? Instead of <laughs> just being something we talk about, how do we really find that? How do we look at the land of Israel and say, this isn't just a a small land, or there's other lands that this is actually – even though it might have smaller waterfalls, or even though the trails might not necessarily be uh, as empty as we'd like to find them, or even though maybe the cities feel safuf, Even though we find that tzvifut, a kind of constrictive element to the land of Israel, how actually in certain ways in which the Jewish people act upon that land, something happens that we could find that the land, the land develops qualities that seem to warp time and space okay so I know that this sounds a little bit out there but watch how we hopefully we'll go ahead and bring this down be it to the seicha a little bit bring it closer to understanding so far so good my friends okay Awesome. Let's continue. The maral continues in the next paragraph. As our rabbis have expounded upon in another place in Eretz Svi, the land is called the land of the deer. So just as the Tzvi, just as a deer or an antelope, when it runs, it it finds its swiftness. It finds it becomes very fleet. So we find one, one place in which we find this this elastic quality where we find the physical physical. physical laws of the world starting to become warped a little bit is in this quality that the Gemara says that it ripens its fruit much quicker than anywhere else. All of this is to teach us that the land of Israel is unlike any other land. The land of Israel is a spiritual land. It contains an aspect which rises above dirt and earth and trees and rocks and, and roads and buildings, but there's actually something quite spiritual, unnatural about it that rises above the natural natural world. Wa mnayshayya batsad malal bilti tivis and because it has this unnatural aspect to it haysim in maharis so we start to find we start to find certain things happen in these places that can't really be explained by natural phenomena. I'm thinking there was like a movie recently where uh, scientists enter into the space which is covered into like a dome and they notice the first signs that they have that something is amiss is that they notice, for example, like certain, certain qualities of the animals there are different, right? For example, like, you know, they'll notice extra antlers on deer. They'll notice like something is, something is strange that reality seems to be sli- ever so slightly warped in such a place. This happens in our own personal lives. I encourage everybody to go ahead. This happens, you could like run an experiment. Go into a bathroom, I mean this. Go into a bathroom, make sure there's no light and uh, turn off the light and watch Watch the way that you look at your expression. We're used to seeing our expression in the mirror and watch as your expression and watch as your face starts to become dissociated a little bit because you become unfamiliar with the place without the light there. right? That that's something something very almost imperceptible, but something changes. Of course, fruit ripening faster than anywhere else is maybe unless you're a farmer, maybe that's imperceptible, but things start to get a little bit interesting in Eretz Yisrael, but, but something has to activate those qualities. So God tells us, that this tzviness of the land, the land developing this aspect of tsvi, this, f- this, this speeding up process, that, that fruits become ripened a little bit quicker, that, that, that interesting things start to happen on the physical plane. So that happens for a reason, it's directly connected to the people it's directly connected to the Jewish people who dwell on the land. The Maharal alluded to this when talking about Aleha, that this happens when its people are there, that when the people are in the land, that symbiosis between the land and the people starts to go ahead and, 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 and bring out these special qualities of Eretz Yisrael. And the Torah is quite clear about this. God tells us in the Torah, God says to us, telling us what happens to a backsliding Israel, God says, I shall destroy the land Vishamimu ala Vishamimu So shamimu means that they could also destroy, but also seems to mean that our enemies when they come to this land they'll be astonished by it. When we leave, something very strange is going to happen. But before we continue on to this, I want to point out that other usages of the word Tzvi that appear in uh, Tanakh, for example, in Sefer Yeshaya, we find Tzvi connected to Tzvi Tiferes, that Tzvi, the word Tzvi, is a synonym for splendor. So we find that Ateres Tzvi, few later in Perek Chavches in Yeshaya and Pasuk Hay Tzvi is also connected to Ateres Tzvi the crown of Tzvi they're talking about the crown that uh, the, the people of Ephraim aware the Ateres Tzvi also the name of a beautiful sefer by the Zidit Rebbe and Tzvi Tiferis is also the name of many svarim as well it's also connected to military might in Shmuel Bet we find Hatzvi Yisrael Abba so the word itself the word Tzvi itself is connected to military might it's connected to Splendor it means a deer it's connected to a beautiful land it seems that the word itself seems to expand much like we'll see in a moment God says that when I destroy the land when you find yourself unable to hold on to the land so your enemies will be astonished at it so what does that mean, our enemies will be astonished at the land? So we turn to source number six from Rabbeinu B'chayi. Rabbeinu Bahaye, one of the most beautiful commentaries in the Torah. Uh, for example, the B'chor Shor, as I learned recently, the B'chor Shor ends every Parsha by picking a specific Pasuk and, and connecting a Pasuk from elsewhere in Tanakh to the Parsha, almost like a Hav Torah to his own parish. So Rabbeinu B'chayi does something also beautiful. I believe he takes a Pasuk from Mishle and starts off every Parsha, introduces each Parsha with the Pasuk of Mishlei a gorgeous, gorgeous commentary on the Torah. This is a beautiful Masada of Cook edition with Professor Dov uh, uh comments on the bottom and footnotes. So listen to what Rabbeinu Bahaya says. Source number six. V'shamimu alehoi vechem. Shamimati vechem. It will be an astonishing and desolate place. Shomeim. It will be astonishingly desolate to your enemies. Shaloyim the enemies that take the land away from us and exile us from land shall never find any sort of pleasantness from it. They'll never find rest in the land of Israel. This is actually good news for the Jewish people. Sorry, skip the line. the Israel. When God tells us this, even in the Tokhecha, even when He describes the destruction of the land, there's actually a little bit of a bracha in here as well. What's the Besorah Tova? What's the good news for the Jewish people here? That even though we might be kicked out, we'll never say oh look how successful everybody else look how successful our enemies are being in the land of Israel you guys anybody that's been to any sort of like a seminar on Judaism or on Zionism has heard like that story from Mark Twain Samuel Clemens talking about arriving in the land of Israel and finding it so immensely desolate finding it almost nothing coming to land and finding how could people live here this is the holy land right and finding that and looking in satellite pictures and you see you know almost complete desert uh, desolation around us and it's strip of green on the Mediterranean that is the land of Israel, right? So it's born out. We see this with our very eyes. So we don't say, oh, you know, our enemies now are enjoying their time on our land. That's, that's not going to happen. will be says, <laughs> And they'll be astonished by how desolate it is when they come there. In the bolded section, Even your enemies, when they come there, even when they kick you out, they won't have anything to find there. Almost as if to say the only people, the only nation that could find pleasantness in the land of Israel, the only people that could activate the gifts of Eretz Israel, that could find the gifts of the land of Israel, of the Holy Land, is the holy peoples, the Am Kaddish. Those are the only people through our symbiotic relationship with the land, so it's a mutual. The land gives to us and we give to the land as well. Even our enemies, God tells us and warning us what happens when it's destroyed, our enemies will find nothing there. They won't be able to build on it, not a city, not towers, nothing. Many nations, Jerusalem has been conquered so many times, you'll hear, and turned over hands so many times throughout world history. Nobody will be able, they'll try, but any sort of lasting binion, any sort of lasting edifice won't be happening for them in the land of Israel they won't have strength to do it this is a great sign for the Jewish people that from the day that the land of Israel is destroyed and demolished what a beautiful line that from the day the land of Israel is demolished no nation shall be able to find comfort and, the, and no language no nation shall be accepted in the land of Israel except for the Jewish people that will be the nation that goes ahead and we've seen this in our very eyes Returning. Taj, flowers, no, Ephrocha is almost like it's, uh, it's the chicks returning to the nest. Right, Efrochim? You're looking at the word perach, right? The flowers. Now Efrocheh, like it's children, until its children return. Okay? So it's, this is explicitly stated. What's this idea that the land only opens itself up like a lover for its beloved nation? So the Gemara says this explicitly, and, uh, not explicitly, the Gemara alludes to this in the next source over here. The Gemara says, In Sechik Yitin says, Eretz Tzvi, at the end of the first line. What's Eretz Tzvi? Another explanation. Ma just as the deer... The skin of a deer, and I apologize, just trigger warning for the, the graphic description, but just as, just as a deer, its skin almost seems, how could it be that the skin of the deer encompasses the body of the deer? How could it be that this animal is contained within this skin, which is stretched so tight over it? Just as it seems that the body of the deer cannot possibly fit in to that pelt, into that pelt, uh, into the skin of the deer? Afert Israel, so to the land of Israel, when the Jewish people dwell upon it, it expands itself, it opens itself, it becomes white, it blooms, and it's able to encompass them. And at the time that its people are not on it, the time that its people are out of it, so it contracts, it becomes too small. You imagine, right? You say to yourself, this year, by the way, the Genesis of this year comes from this amazing book. Uh, it's called With All Your Heart Bechol Levavcha it's the English version it's a compendium of Shi'urim given by Rav Eliezer Kashtil Who's a ram? A very beloved ram in uh, in in, uh, in Yeshivat Eli in the Mechina of Eli. Now is a kollel as well. He used to give Shurim in uh, Yeshivat Akotel once a week, and I remember all the Israelis went, and I had no idea what was going on. I didn't realize who was coming to give Rav Kastil. He's extremely beloved. He was the chavrusa of Roy Klein, Roy Klein, uh, Rav Serin, Roy Klein, who is a great uh, uh, modern day David Amelech, modern day Jewish warrior who was learning. They talk about turning on the lights in the base medrash they lee every single day to learn. They almost finished the entire Shas together. As Roy Klein's brilliant uh, army career uh, progressed, Roy Klein was the commander of one of the Golani brigades, and of course, in the Lebanon War, uh, in the Battle of Binjibil. I believe a grenade was thrown in, and uh, standing next to his uh, his kashar, standing next to his chapak, he jumped on the grenade. I remember of HaDari, Rosh Yeshiva, Zechot Levracha, talking about it that year, the year after, I had, been, I had been able to get out of the army, and I got a seat right next to the bima, in Yeshiva Rakotel and Rav uh, HaDari the night of, uh, I believe it was the night of Kol Nidre, Rav HaDari and and he talked about Shema Yisrael, the Shema Yisrael you say at the end, at the end of uh, the Young Kipper services, we declare our faith. How many of us get to do that and really declare our faith in that pivotal moment uh, when it's uh like we talked about Rabbi Akiva in the last of the Mine when is going to be my time, our whole time, to wonder, when is it that we say Shema, when we're Mekayim, right, by giving your life, and if Adari said, he evoked this image, as was reported by his soldiers, they said Shema, and he jumped on the grenade, and he saved his soldiers, he saved their lives, Rui Klein was, was exactly the kind of Jew that Eretz Yisrael was meant to develop, the first Shir calls him, in the name, right, David Amelch is called Adino HaEtsni, the delicate, powerful one, Adino Aetzni, he Talks about this this that this land is able to go ahead and create paradoxical people warriors, but poets, people like Davina Melch, that's the child of Eretz somebody, only a shepherd who's known the rocks and the hills of Midbarei Uda can know what it is to lead the Jewish people, sure. that, to sing the, the songs of B'nai Yisrael, Naim Zmiros Yisrael. We have people like that nowadays, right? Eretz we still find that Eretz has that quality to develop Jewish people, to bring out the fullest expression, the paradox of what the Jewish soul is, force, uh, 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 humility and strength. And, and, and ethics and morality and connection to God. The land is the only place that we truly find this, that it's able to develop these. So this year was given, Rav Kashtil, after Roi during the year of mourning for Roi. so Rav gave a series of shirim, and each shir was meant to evoke a different aspect of Roi Klein's personality. So the genesis of the shir really comes from a pivotal essay, I think, where he discusses not Roi but Roi's land, and our land, Eretz Yisrael, we discusses the, what it is that that land, how, how is it that that land forms a connection with its people. So we continue, the Gemara says the land expands to accept its people and contracts when they're no longer there. So the Maharal continues, and he makes this idea explicit in source number eight. Maharal says, on page three, V'chein ha-Eretz so too the holy land, when its people dwell upon it, that's what's fitting for the land. Right? That's, that's what the land needs. The land needs its children. That's what gives energy to the land. In order for these amazing explosions of holiness to happen, the fuse for these explosions is the Jewish people. We're, we're the fuel that provides the, the, the foundation for the holiness of the land to be expressed. This land was given to the Jewish people. It's called the land of Israel. Right? Not just the land that goes directly to God. We are the people of Israel. It's the land of Israel. It's almost like, if you want to say, we think of Eretz Yisrael in almost a passive sense. It's just this, uh, it's just this laboratory for the Jewish people to go ahead and to, and to perform mitzvahs. It's a laboratory of divine service. The perfect conditions. Right? If you're a scientist, you need the perfect lab conditions with which to do your work. So for a Jewish person, in order to express the ideas of the Torah, in order to express the concept of the Torah, the laboratory where that happens is the land of Israel. That's the, the lab, it's more than that. It's not just that, but that the land is personified. The land has an aspect, just like a person can breathe in and breathe out, the land breathes in and breathes out, just like a person can embrace and push away, the land itself can embrace and push away. We'll see in a moment when God describes the people, unfortunately, being kicked out of the land and later, the land is seen to have convulsions. The land vomits. It's not that we get exiled from the land and the land is passive. The land vomits us out. The land, the land, the land is given almost a soul. The land is a person. The land is personified. and it's not, it's, not this, it's not that it's just the framework with which we're able to go ahead and to keep the Torah, but that the land is really, that the Jewish person is a framework for the land to go ahead and express what it can do. That God says we're used to Artsius, we're used to physicality being something that's very finite, that's something that, 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 you know, it has properties and those properties are inviolate, right? That, that, that this is a, a table is a table and will never be anything other than a table. It'll always have the quiet, quali- I guess it's not particle board, it'll always have the qualities it's got. It's, it, it, it has the qualities of a table. And if you go in New York, it's very beautiful. I love New York, right? New York is New York and Switzerland is Switzerland. And and and, and 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 every beautiful place an Angel Falls is Angel Falls, it's very beautiful, but it will never be anything other than a large waterfall. And Switzerland will never be anything other than the than Mount Zermat, than Zermatt than and the Matterhorn. It's gorgeous, it's beautiful, absolutely. But it'll never be anything other than that. Yisrael, so it might be smaller, it might be it might be it might not express in a physical sense that that that, that, that awe inspiration that we find elsewhere. And of course, Hashem wants us to appreciate that world. And Hashem's going to ask us in Tavea, Cheshboneinu: Did you see my world? Did you take? Did you perceive the beauty of the natural world? But Herzl transcends that quality. Yeah, it's, the Banyas is a smaller waterfall, but it's not just a waterfall. It's a Jewish waterfall. It has it has qualities. If we daven for rain, and if the Jewish people conduct themselves in purity on the land, the Banyas will flow. The Jordan River will flow. The Kineret will be filled up. If we go ahead and, 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 we, uh, and we're the Eliezer Hevet Avram, and we're filling the charges of the Avos, the land will fold upon itself to do the Ratzin of the Avos. The land will have kfitza have saderech We're going to see in a moment, if we go ahead and we conduct ourselves in purity, you might find yourself very crowded in the old city of Yerushalayim, but then when you bow down, it opens up. The land breathes. The land expands. The land is not just physical. So I want to say that line again, because I think that this is a crucial point of what I'm trying to express over here. And I hope I, 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 this is stuff that maybe is slightly ineffable, but this is why, you know, this is why we care so much about this, because there's something symbiotic. It's it, the land has a the soul. The land, has, the land has, has, has qualities that we have as people. So just as Eretz is the place where, where Judaism can be practiced and expressed in its fullest sense, a Jew is expressed in its, in, in its fullest way in the land of Israel. We allow the land. When we're there, we allow the land to express itself. And when, the la- and, and when we're in the land, we're, the land allows us to express ourselves. Right? Does this idea make sense? Right? It's such a dark idea, but it's, it, it almost can't be said, but you know it when you feel it. You know it when you hear about the Amoraim landing at the port of Akko and kissing the stones of Eretz Israel. Noshke, right? They come to Eretz Yisrael and they kiss the stones of the port. Right? When you see a family, you know, coming off of a nefesh, a nefesh flight, they kiss the tarmac. So that's a holy time. You say to yourself, right, the, rational, the rational side, that's not even the land of Eretz that's asphalt, right? That's, uh, you know, it's got markings for, for jet liners to, to land. Those jetliners are holy. That, that, that asphalt is holy. You sound crazy almost to other people when you talk about it like this, but you've got to believe that that's the quality of it. You've got to believe that there's something more over here than just having, you know, every restaurant is kosher various different levels of kasher, but, 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 but it's more than just saying oh I got to see the kotel I got to see the last final remnant of what it meant to have a nucleus the nucleus of the land of Israel where all this was expressed because what happened to the Yisam right so the Gemara tells us the first Yisam Hamikdash, there were 10 miracles every day smoke wind didn't, wind didn't even affect the smoke of it Time and space and place, all of these physical qualities that we're so used to everywhere else are warped in the land of Israel when we conduct ourselves in purity over the land. I, I know um, i getting ahead of ourselves. So the Maral says, that's what it means that uh, that's a holy land. It's not just a land that's, that's holy because you know, we, have to, we have to act right there. Right? I, I know, for example, like, you know, in Hakotah there's a story of like a Shana Aleph guy that when he got there, he had a filthy mouth, but when he got there, he said, I, how can I curse? Now if I use a cuss word. I see, I see the kotel every five seconds. I can't curse, right? So, so it, it forces us if we're attuned to conduct ourselves to a higher degree of holiness. But more than that, more than that, we force the land. When we're there, we are forced the land to conduct itself in a higher form of holiness. And holiness is transcendent, right? Holiness and physicality. One moment. Holiness and physicality uh, are not antonyms. There, holiness and physicality work in tandem. Yefrat
1: if the land has this transcendent metaphysical quality to it and it's activated by us, mm. how can anyone argue that we carry our golos with us when we go there and, for example, we keep the minhag of, of golos So,
0: so, so I'll, t- I'll tell you the truth. right? We start off, we said uh, even though we're going to touch upon it, because it has to be, right? You can't ignore it. Even though we're, we're not going to really touch upon Zionism, we're not there yet. We're not there, the Mashiach is not here. Mashiach not here. We, we, have, we have witnessed one of the greatest miracles and gifts of all of human history. Forget just Jewish history. With the return of a nation to its land, after davening for it for so long, after wandering in exile for so long, after being distanced from, from, from our love, from Eretz for so long. So, you, so it doesn't mean that the gullus is necessarily abrogated. Right? Early Zionists, there was a secular concept in early Zionists of Shlilat HaGolah, of negation, right? So that's in secular terms. But you do find certain religious individuals in Eretz Yisrael, Shlila right? There's no, there's still a gullus. There's still very much a gullus, and that gullus can even still be felt, unfortunately, in Eretz Yisrael itself. Right? I, 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 we're going to run out of time, but I want to say another, for example, I'll tell you what I mean. I'll give you an example of what I mean. I hope this isn't like a controversial thing to say. Right, it's so Eretzvi. So what's one of the ways we talked in the beginning? Land of Israel nowadays, one of the beautiful terms that we used to talk about the the unprecedented, rapid economic development of the land of Israel, technological developments in the land of Israel. So we call it startup nation. Right? That evokes ideas of swiftness. It's fast, right? This is we're talking seventy years, people. It's crazy. Right? You take a step back for it for a second, from a dispassionate point of view, it's basically impossible to do that whenever you're talking about Israel and for anybody everybody's passionate about the land of Israel no matter what right when we talk about it there's something fast there's something that moves we, we don't just see it right so if the Gemara were being written nowadays Eretz Yisrael is different because high tech it develops faster in Eretz Yisrael than it does anywhere else startups develop faster in Eretz Yisrael faster than anybody else turbo capitalism it's turbocharged in Eretz Yisrael economy develops at such a vast rapid pace but it's V the metaphor over here there are other animals that move fast right you could talk about a lion you could talk about an elephant animals that trample tzvi means that it retains that quality it's it's humble and it doesn't trample anything in its in its swiftness we move fast so for example startup culture in Israel nowadays is is filled with the same bravado, the same uh, the same ethical quandaries, the same uh, the same issues. Is that 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 even though it's developed fast and it exhibits the qualities of the tzvi, it also exhibits the qualities of uh, some of the baser qualities that we find anywhere else. So gullus is still very much alive even in Eretz That means that we have a job to do. That means there's something to do. So so you want to say so people will say, for example, uh, you know you'll find Israelis that will say you know. Every American has to come to Eretz stroll, right? Or, or they'll say, how could you possibly keep second day Yom Guess what, right? There's still such a concept of a Bengola. I'm not saying whether or not this is positive or negative valence. We're not quite there yet, right? There's still...
1: But none of, the, none of these descriptions of the land are dependent on Yomot HaMashiach. All these descriptions are descriptions of the transcendent nature of the land. Correct. So it has nothing to do with Yomot HaMashiach right now the land has this quality to it and if we come there and fulfill that part of our role then to argue that we carry our goals with us means we're changing the nature that we're defiling
0: almost a little bit right so so it's not just so 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 you're right the qualities are there it's up to us to recognize it and so long as there's impurity and impurity over here, I don't mean a lack of holiness. Purity, Judy, one of the great ideas I think in Judaism is that we disentangled the concept of purity from holiness. Right? Those are two very related but two separate ideas. Right? Purity is maybe like the, the fuel for holiness to occur, right? But God says explicitly, so long as there's impure stuff happening in the land of Israel, that full holiness can't be expressed. Right? And that's why that when will be the totally pure time, that will, that, that's the eschatological vision. That's where, that's where Eretz, that's, remember, we connected it to these ideas, what happens at the end of days, right? whether it's Armageddon or whether it's the reunification of all the tribes. Right? So that, that is the time of purity. So God is very explicit in saying these qualities are, are latent and they might even be expressed in small qualities for those that are attuned to such a thing. But until there's full, a full expression of purity, so it's it's not going to be an obvious thing it's not doing, it's not going to be fully expressed in reality for everybody to see okay so so the morale continues the maral says so. Kashe da. The the life force of the land is specifically when its people are. Here. Meaning, Fred, you're right. Just by the people being there, something is activated. Something happens when we return to land. Something you can't deny that that something happens. More Torah is being learned now in Eretz Yisrael than ever before. More yeshivas, more people learning than ever before. Right? The Jewish army. Right? Uh, we've been defenseless basically for 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 eons. And all of a sudden, we're able to go ahead and to to, to defend ourselves again, right? That uh, to say, you know, dam Yudin mufkar, the Jewish blood is not uh, is not hefker, right? So certain things do happen just by dint of us being there. Is there full purity? No. there's not. Does everybody keep the mitzvahs in the land? No. Right. Right. There's people raising pigs in the land of Israel. So, but we recognize part of part of what we understand. We recognize that that's a gradual process. That the land does accept us slowly. It doesn't, right? That, that we are given that chance to go ahead and to reach that point in it. So he continues the Ma'aral, and he says, This is what elevates it. This is what allowed for the swift ripening of fruit. This shows the unnatural side of the land of Israel. Just as the swift deer. Now explaining the second Gemara in Gittin. Just like the deer, when the, when the skin is on the deer, when it's alive and vibrant, so the skin spreads and accepts the body of the deer. But when you take away the life force of the deer, when it's skinned, so then, then we find, how could the skin have ever encompassed it? When we leave Eretz Yisrael, you take a look, back, and you say, how could, how could this land have encompassed a vibrant nation? How could it be that this desolate land was the place where people brought Bikurim? How could it be that, that the land that uh, the first uh, people that settled Petach uh, Tikva, or the first people that settled Tel Aviv, how could it be that this land is the same land of Peros Ginosar of, of the most beautiful fruit that the world has to offer? How could it be? We watch with the gradual returns. It starts, the life force starts to return. We start to resuscitate the land. Just as the people are resuscitated from Gullus, the land itself is resuscitated from its slumber. Again, that personification of the land. Kachar its so to the holy land. when its people dwell upon it, as Then it starts to acquire, it starts to re-express these unnatural qualities, and it expands itself. When we talk about things that are merely physical. If we talk about Eretz Yisrael in in merely physical terms, you're right, it doesn't seem to have any... How could an entire nation, how can Jewish people live on such a land, right? Shouldn't there be other places that are bigger? Maybe Uganda or maybe Madagascar, right? There's maybe places that are bigger, right? But this thing that's the size of New Jersey that maybe, you know, 10% of it is really arable, how could that be? But when we go and and the unnatural people are on the unnatural land, so something miraculous happens. I'll tell you guys, I remember... uh, so, Gush Katif, right, so your you say, Tibonavis right, may it be rebuilt. So, when we, so when we were living in Netzach Hazani a little bit, when we were learning in Gush Katif, so it would take us to see the Hamamot. So, in Netzach Hazani, Jewish farmers, imagine such a thing, right, coming from Taman. We had a, a Yemenite farmer, an American farmer, the Hilbergs, right, and they would take us to the Hamamot, and they'd show us these tomatoes that were growing there. And you literally see, Rabbi Akiva tells us there's no greater sign of the Kate Samagula than Eretz Israel developing its perus once again. Right, again, this messianic idea is tied into the most earthy physical things. You want to know, Rabbi Akiva says, there's no greater sign of the impending redemption of the Jewish people and the repairing of the entire world than starting to see the land of Israel develop its fruit once again. It happens to no other nation according to, uh, according to the Ma'aral and according to Rabbi Bachai, nobody else. So you went there and they showed us on sand, on dunes, so with drip irrigation and ingenuity, so you'd have tomatoes that are the biggest tomatoes you ever saw. And the farmer told us, he says, the bad ones here, we ship to European markets, and they're the biggest tomatoes on the European market, and the good ones we keep for ourselves, and we ship them off to the shuk, and we ship them off to, for Jews and the Eretz Israel to enjoy. So that's, so that's a physical experience. We're talking tomatoes and hothouses and drip irrigation, physical concepts, but it expresses a messianic idea. It expresses That's the full expression of the land of Israel. Agav, my own, just that because I've been editorializing a lot, there was no place where the dream of Eretz Yisrael was more fully realized. Chilonim and datiim living in harmony, to a certain extent. Yeshivas, right? Beautiful communities. Go to Shirat Hayam, right? Which was the yeshuv on the sea. You go there on a Friday for mikvah, right? You go ahead and you see, you see, this is where the this is this is the fullest expression of the dream, and it's amazing to me that what's like the first thing that gets immediately just demolished, taken away from us, kushkatif, right? To me, there's like a very deep, profound lesson there for people that, are, that pay attention to these things. Right? That's a that God doesn't do anything without a message to the Jewish people. Where's the dream of Eretz Yisrael? Where's that Kate Tzemegula being first with, with, with enormous tomatoes, the most beautiful tomatoes you see seen growing almost miraculously? I understand there's agricultural science involved, but that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen to the point that, that it's not just one or two grown in like a laboratory, but enough to ship to to outside markets and still be the biggest for them. And that's what's taken, that's what's demolished, just raised. Just raised. So this, there, there's a symbiotic relationship between us. And I'm running out of time. So, so that's, that's Eretz when, when, Yisrael, when it fuses with its people, so something altiv'i, something transcendent starts to occur. It expands. It moves faster. The fruits change. The people change. The people change, the land changes when the people are on it. The symbiosis, it's personified. And just to show you that this happens in the temple precincts, I think one of the most beautiful expressions of this idea, and I guess we'll finish up with this, right? And Gemara Yuma tells us, Rabbi Yehud Amarav says, The time that the Jewish people go to three times a year, when everybody from from all the Ketzavos of the land of Israel, from all the extremes, everybody comes and they gather in Yushalayim, and they go ahead and they... They bring karbanos, and they bring the fruits of the land, and they, and they show Hashem everything physical here goes straight up to shamayim, on the mizbeach, on the inner mizbeach, the outer mizbeach. everything goes straight up to shamayim, even our water, we show comes from HaKadosh Baruch And we're showy of the mayim, we draw the mayim only besos, and only with the joy of the presence of God, only with the joy of the presence and the knowledge that we're, that we're here in purity, that we're fulfilling the mitzvahs, so we're here doing what we're supposed to be here for. So he says, in that place, Amara Bashashi Yisrael ul the regular at the time that we would ascend, to make the pilgrimage, omdin and the people would stand, quite crowded. Right? How do you fit all the people there? Right? The azara is not that big. Even if you say the people are on the mountains around, it must have been an extremely crowded time. When they stand, they were extremely tzafuf. But when they m'shtachave, when they bow down to Hashem, when they show all we have, everything that we are, is 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 totally is totally bowed and laid out before God, and submitted to God, so there's rivach. So there's space for everybody. What a profound idea, because it's a paradox, really. Right? Really, it should be when we bow down, we need more space. And when we're standing, when we're standing, maybe there we find a little bit of room, we use a little bit of elbows, right? So what's, what's behind this paradox? I think it's telling us, not just the idea about finding space, or a miracle that happened, that your personal Dalet amos would be expanded there, but something, a deeper, more profound idea that's connected to everything we're talking about today. In this land, when you're standing, when you're full expression of who you are as yourself, as a physical person, as a human being with an ego, and fears, and desires, and, 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 and sin, and, and everything that holds us down and keeps us grounded, right, Ar- artsy, everything that keeps us grounded, so then you'll find that you're, you're pretty much constricted. A place like Artsy Israel could feel constricting because it's naturally quite small. But when you bow down and you recognize why you're there, when you go ahead and everybody's equal, when everybody understands we're here as a nation with a purpose, and that purpose, if we're there fulfilling our purpose, we express the transcendent qualities of Eretz Yisrael, that when the Jewish person is, is elevated, the land itself is elevated. When the Jewish person itself descends and succumbs to baser instincts and to impurity, then the land itself is defiled and vomits us out. But when we go ahead and we bow down and we give it all up to God and we recognize what we're here for, so then the miraculous quality is expressed here in the temple is expressed. It starts to become expanded. I know I'm a little bit over time, but I want to say that's why it's not for naught that when we talk about the, the time of the year that we recall the destruction of the land. Right? What's the time of the year? What do we call the time of the year when we, when we talk about our travails when we lost the land? Why did we lose the land? What do we call that time of year? In the narrow, constricted places when we remember when we remember on the rivers of Babylon, we remember in these wide Babylon's big wide open spaces, many times larger than the land of Israel. Right? America, France, England, Spain, every country that we've ever been to throughout our history have been much larger. But over there we feel real tzfifos, the Jewish soul, is constricted and narrowed and put into a box that's why the Gemara says that after we were, after the Shekhinah went out with us, if the Divine Presence emerged into exile with the Jewish people, even God is contracted into just the four cubits of Halacha. Something there's a contraction. When we expand, Halacha starts to encompass so much more. It starts to encompass armies, it starts to encompass agriculture, it starts to encompass how we build cities and run a society and run and, and run governments and Sanhedrin and, and Torah itself becomes a more elastic concept. Sanhedrin can make zeros and takanas It could go ahead and, and Torah itself finds more vibrancy and Golis, everything's constricted. So we end this year today and we end our time. There's so much more to do that we should we should remember what God promised us in source 10. I'll come down and I'll save you for the lands of your exiles. And God will take us out of these lands. tova To a good land. A wide open, expansive land. Flowing with milk and honey. With all the good things that this world has to offer in a physical sense. We'll find it not suffer not something that constricts us, or tzar, nobody said this place is uncomfortable for me, we'll find our true, truest, most expansive selves, and that's why we bench, and whenever we eat, whenever we enjoy it from this world, we say to Hashem, thank you for it's chemda, tova, rechava, when we all find ourselves in the land of Israel, mm-hmm. with the realization of the prophecies of, 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 of all of Nevi'im and the Torah, when God takes us out of the Mitzrayim, the Tsar places, the Bain Mitzarim and opens us up, from the narrow places we call out to O God, answer us in Eretz Israel in the vast, wide-open expanses of truly the most expansive land of all. Thank you all so much for coming. Shokoah. Yeah. Yeah. Shokoah. Okay. Thank you guys so much. Everybody came out on a rainy, rainy evening.